Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by guest speaker Ashanti Petaway, who is the founder of A Clearer View, a nonprofit focused on serving the church and broader community through building mentally, emotionally, and spiritually healthy people. He's preaching from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Today's text is a, a fun text, uh, something that we've heard before probably several times, uh, but it's also a text that can, uh, in implementation, be sometimes harder to do than others. Uh, I, I shared with the people beforehand as we were praying that, you know, this is one of those texts that I love and I've repeated, and, you know, I've said it with such power and strength, but it's one of those texts that is also hard to always walk in uh, because we can find ourselves struggling uh, to actually get rest in the Lord. We end up taking on things that we shouldn't, and I'm excited just to dig into that today, believing that it'll be an encouragement uh, to all of our hearts, both the preacher and those who are listening. Amen? Uh, you know, how many of you guys are Uno lovers out there? Anybody play Uno? I think that's one of those cross-cultural games. No matter what you are, everybody plays Uno. And it's a great game. Uh, it's one of those games that you can actively get in. No matter your age, you can play. No matter where you're from, it's easy to learn. Uh, but one of the hard things about Uno is that there tend to be different rules depending on where you're at. Have you guys ever experienced that? It's like, hey, I grew up playing this way. You keep drawing until you find the card that matches that you can put down. And other people are like, no, that's wrong. Our family plays this way. You can only draw two cards, and then it's the next person's turn. You're like, what? And then I got hit to something this year that was devastating to me. There's this thing called where you can, like, stack. And so, like, you can literally stack the same card in different colors all at one time. I think that is heresy, <laughs> but... There are people that play this way. And, and what happens is, is this fun game that we all love and enjoy playing can become testy. It can become volatile. It can become frustrating. And the very thing that was supposed to be joy actually brings frustration because these are new rules that you're not accustomed to that make the game that's supposed to be fun not fun anymore. And as we look at today's text, what we're running into is that the people of God are living on extra rules. Pharisees, Sadducees, and religious leaders have added extra rules to this game of life of following the Lord. And it's made what is supposed to be a joyous, wonderful relationship kind of tense and hostile because there are all these new rules that are impossible to keep but are now being set as the standard by which they must live. They've actually gone a step up from what the Lord ordered, and that's problematic. So today, journey with me as we hear what our Savior has to say in regards to this. The question is, where do you ultimately find your rest? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and your word that is rich and is true. I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak through me. And I pray that all of our hearts and our minds would be conformed and transformed and renewed to reflect you more as we leave today. Heal, convict, deliver, because your word is true and you are a loving and faithful God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, if we jump in right here, uh, we're in verses 25 through 
30. And uh, prior to this, I always think it's good to go into what's happened because uh, it gives us context to where we are now. And so uh, what we've seen is that Jesus is having this robust conversation going back and forth. And in verses 18 and 19, uh, Jesus shares how neither they received John the Baptist or him. And this is what it says. It says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of the tax collector and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. It's this idea of saying, listen, you guys were already complaining about John the Baptist. He's in the forest. He's in the woods. You think he's kind of creepy. And you say, hey, he, he's not of God. He's, he's got demons. Then I, the Son of God, I come doing the exact opposite, and yet and still there, it, there's this judgment of me saying that I'm not meeting the quote-unquote standards that have been set of what it means to be a follower of God. But Jesus in his loving, merciful, yet strong-worded phrases sometimes uh, proceeds to rebuke them for their rejection of him and their rebellion of the idea of needing to repent. This is found in the following verses, verses 20 through 24. He began to denounce the cities that were mighty, and he says, Woe to the Cherizim, woe to you and Bethsaida, for, the mighty, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and in Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sodom than for you. And for Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And for those of you who may not be familiar with Sodom, he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, this was a place that was, it was Sin City. We talk about Vegas. This was like Vegas on acid. There was no holds bar. There were many things that they, they needed to repent of. And so what Jesus is saying is saying, listen, if they had seen the mighty works that the Father is doing through me, they, even in their sinfulness, would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But you have chosen not to receive me. And so therefore he's saying your judgment is going to be significantly worse. And this is startling. This is, this is powerful because he's making a very bold proclamation to the people who are saying, well, who are you and how dare you have this authority to say such a thing? And so following this rebuke that Jesus has given to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious leaders of the time, we come into Verses 25 through 30. And after this rebuke, Jesus gives this declaration. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. In this statement, Jesus is acknowledging and declaring that the rebuke that he just gave the people, he giving thanks to God because he knows what he just spoke is truth. And it's as if he's saying, yes, Heavenly Father, I know you are affirming what was just said, and I give you thanks for what you are doing. 
And what he does is he begins to give this comparison and contrast between two types of people that are represented before them standing that day. And as we think of this, we may even begin to ask ourselves, which one of these two people are we? Or are there times where we're kind of schizophrenic and we are sometimes both of them at times? He says this, this comparison between the wise and those who are like children. The wise and those who are like children. The wise were those who had studied. They had been in God's word. They knew all the rules. They knew all the commands. They could, by memory, repeat various parts of the Pentateuch to you. They had the religious stature so they could puff their chests and stand tall. They had everything based off of knowledge and understanding and religious rules that would set them apart from the average Christian, from the average follower or seeker of the Messiah. And what he has said is, is that although these people are quote-unquote wise, you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. These are men and women who had this idea that say, we were actually praying and believing for the Messiah. And despite all that prayer, despite all that belief, despite all that religion, the Messiah stood before them, but they were too blind to see it because they wanted to adhere to their standard, their added rules. What do added rules often get those who are in leadership? Control. What do added rules give the average person over somebody else? Control. A standard to be able to say, hey, I'm over you. It's a feeling of betterness, that I'm better than you. I can look down to you, and therefore, I have superiority over you. And then I can take these added rules and lower them over you in order to attempt to control you and how you feel and how you exist, how you show up at church. And despite this, they really think that, hey, we're really doing God's work. This pride has set them in such a place that they don't even realize that they are unable to see what they have been asking for. Now, I know we've got people in different seasons of life, so I'm going to try and give two examples. Man, I need you to be honest. All my husbands, raise your hand. We're going to let you guys in on something. There have been times, and wives don't shout too loud, okay, where our pride and ego has kept us from hearing and seeing what our wives have been able to clearly hear and see because we are just like, well, no, we know. See, I heard somebody laugh. Because we do. We feel like, well, I know. And don't let it get to the Bible and you go to Bible college, because we, we're all guilty of that as guys. Our egos can, yeah, it can get really bad when we get to Bible college. And so we're like, well, hey, no, we know this word. I've studied. Don't tell me this. And, and what happens is we've allowed our pride and our idea of saying we know to keep us from being able to see what the Lord is often using our wives to teach and show us. You've probably even experienced this in friendships where they just won't listen, and it's because for some reason in their mind, they know better and somehow are saying, I can't listen to you because I already know what's right. And what has happened is these people have heard and known all this truth, but they don't really know the truth because the truth is standing before them and they are rejecting him. 
And what Christ gives as an example as the opposite of this, the contrast, is he compares those who are around them who are hearing to little children. Now, could there have been little kids there? Definitely. But this is an idea of speaking to the posture of those who are listening who are adults. They're coming as like little children. And I know we're many of us far removed from being children, but there's this childlike understanding and willingness to hear and listen when you're a child. Now, those teenage years can be interesting. I was a teenager, so I know. But there's this childlike element where you just hear and listen, and there's something about it that you, when, you, when you hear truth coming, even if you can't fully grasp it, you'll go for it. I've seen it with children where you'll see an infant in a room and, and they may be separated from a family member or they're at a music park and a child has been lost. What they do is, although they're looking for their parent, they're also looking for the face of someone they know is safe. And when they see that safety, when they see that one that says, you're different, I know you'll help me, they often run and be like, here, help me, I'm lost. And what has happened is the people are broken. They're recognizing all these pressures from these added rules that have been given to them to continue to change and fluctuate in order to be right with God. And somehow they recognize that although they don't have the religious background, although they don't have the study like the other teachers, they recognize that something is different about Jesus. And like little children, they say, help me. And God receives them. And in this moment, those who are wise and have understanding are missing out on the greatest thing ever. It was actually what they had been waiting for. I've had wonderful opportunities to learn from my children of how he can hide things but then reveal them to little children whose hearts are focused on him. And both with my son Joseph and Samuel, I've had experiences where they've talked about death. Uh, when you're talking to a five or six or seven-year-old, my son's now eight, uh, it, like they, they're just very matter-of-fact. So death is kind of just like, hey, they don't, they don't know how to be sensitive to the talk. They're like, yeah, dad, I'm sorry your dad is dead. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I, I, miss, I, miss, I miss him too. I appreciate it. But you know, it's like they don't... <laughs> Uh, but in two situations, I had them bring up death. Uh, Samuel was like, yeah, dad, that's my five-year-old. I'm not afraid to die. I was like, okay, not sure where we're going here, but all right, I'm, I'm checking with you. Well, why do you say that, son? I was like, because, you know, I, I want you here for a while. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I understand. I want to be here, but he's like, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of death. I'm like, well, why aren't you afraid of death? Because he's like, man, <laughs> if I die, I get to be with Jesus. And he doesn't have... If you ask him to break down the Trinity, he can't do that. If he asks you to go through, if you ask him to go through the Nicene Creed, he can't do that. If you ask him to walk through the, the Ten Commandments, he can't do that. But even in his childlike mind, he understands it is very basic that, hey, once I live, leave here, I see God. I see my Savior. And he's like, that's cool. My oldest son, Joseph, same thing. We're in the kitchen, and he's a little older, eight. So you start to, as they get older, you, you, you get a little more sensitive when things are said. And his exact words was like, you know what? Dad, I look forward to dying. And I'm like, hold up. 
7 o'clock in the morning, we're doing breakfast. What's going on? Look forward to dying. I was like, son, don't say that. Washing dishes. I was like, no. I want you to be here. Live a long life. Have wife, kids. Continue the generation. Do great works for God. I'm like, don't say such a thing. He's like, no, dad. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, no, everything's good. I'm not saying like I want to just run out here and jump out a window. He's, just, he's like, but I'm okay. I look forward to what death brings because I know that once I die, I'll get to see Jesus, not just hear about him. There are times where I've sensed the Holy Spirit saying something, but I look forward to just being able to sit before the Savior, and I know that only comes when I die. And in both of those moments, me, the graduate from Moody Bible Institute, the one who had pastored for six years, the one who had preached for over 10 years, I had to recognize that even in my faith, I had been blinded and lost sight of that very truth. Then listen, this is not it. And despite the stress and the struggles and all the things I want to achieve in this world, this is not it. And from my little children, I learned that, hey, that childlike faith had somehow gotten a little distorted. Because they recognized the beauty of death, and I only had been thinking about the fear of it. The fear of leaving my wife, the fear of leaving my kids behind, the fear of dying before my mom, all those fears. But they recognized that, yes, that would be disappointing. Dad, we don't really want to lose you or we don't want to miss you, but we get to go be with Jesus. And they reminded me in that moody, that moment, the beauty of what it means to have that childlike faith like little children. The text continues with this very bold proclamation in verse 27. He's already told them about the rebuke. He's given, faith, he's given praise to the Father. He celebrated the fact that the, the, the Lord has kept these things from the wise and understanding and has given it to those who are like little children who come to him. And he says this, all things that have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. There's this authority and relationship that is spoken of here in this unity that Jesus has with the Father. When you think of the Gospels, one of the main points that is being taught in the Gospels is that Jesus is not just another rabbi, he is not just another man, but he is the Son of God, but is also fully God. And so right here in this verse, it's full of what we will call Christology. It's the study of the person, nature, and work, and role of Christ. He's saying right here in this moment, I want you all to know who I am in my role. And that all things, not some, not a little, but all things have been handed to me. And no one knows the Father like I do, except the Son. And it's this beauty of this idea of knowing. Because we can kind of know somebody, but knowing someone is much deeper. How many commuters do I have in the house? Anybody on public transportation, CTA? Man, a lot of you guys are drivers, or, or do you walk? Either way. <laughs> Think of people who you know loosely, whether it be from work or from commuting. These are people who, if I were to ask you, who is that? They would say, oh, that's such and such. That's Jill. That's, that's John. That's Jerome. That's Clint. You, you can say you just know these people. But you don't really know them. You just kind of know them. You know of them. You know a little bit of background. But you don't know them intimately. Like, 
Pastor Aid. I love Pastor Aid. That's my guy. I know him. But I don't know him like his wife. She knows him. And what, what Christ is setting apart is saying, listen, even as those of you who are religious leaders who you think you know, because that's what they're doing. They're holding these standards, and they're walking so boldly in these new add-ons to the rules of following Jesus and these new laws because they actually believe they know best because they know God. And Christ is saying, no, only I know the Father because I've been with him since the beginning of time. Only I know him. And how do we get to know the Father? Only through the Son. And that is what he's offering to us. He's saying, listen, I know who you want to know, but I, there's only one way to get there, and it's me. So in your rejection of me, you're actually rejecting him. You cannot know him unless you know me. And this has to be devastating for the people at that time who were in those roles of position of leadership because the idea of like, well, hold on, I know him. And now here's someone saying, no, you don't fully know him until you know me. And there's only one who can make that statement. Only one. The son who was fully God, fully human. He is the only one who can make that bold proclamation to set the stage. And the beauty of that one statement is this, is that in that statement, he's making a big, clear point to help them understand only God can set the standard. Man can't set that. When you're in the book, reading God's word, and you hear the word preached from me or anyone else, if it doesn't line up with the book and it seems a little shaky, then you can say, hey, I'm not receiving that. Because the truth setter is Jesus. Our God sets the standard for truth. So adhere to the truth, not to the add-ons. I know people who have grown up in religious institutions with a lot of add-ons. A lot of plus ones, plus twos. I've seen people who feel convicted because they were women and had on pants. Or were defined as harlots because they had on red lipstick. I've seen men who've been said not to be worthy because they walked into church with a hat. Now, do we have things that say, oh, well, we ask you not to do this? And, okay, but, but the thing, this is, those, aren't, those aren't God's standards. And when we have the house of the Lord, we have to be very careful because people feel like they're coming into the Lord's house. And when we add stipulations to your participation and entry into the house of the Lord, you're adding on. And that's a scary thing because I've seen people who have been hurt for years because of add-ons. But like our wonderful Savior, he does not stop there. He always gives this, uh, it reminds me of the Psalms of David where David is in a, uh, uh, he'll be in a funky space. He's like, God, oh, where are you? You've left me. You, you've forsaken me. But then he comes back to say, but I know your word is true and your steadfast love endures forever. And, and, and I love the scriptures because God always, even when it seems as if, oh man, that's strong, he always is saying, but no, here, let me give you 
Let me give you this warm embrace. Because one of the statements that was made in verse 27 uh, was a little strong in that it says that he only knows the Father, and the only way other people are to know him is if the Son so chooses to reveal him. And in, in passing, that may say, well, that seems unfair. Like, he may choose to let him reveal him to him. He may choose not to. Like, God, Jesus being kind of is like, okay, let me check you. Are you cool enough to be revealed to? Or like, no, you're lame. And it may seem unfair, but, but I, I want you to see, if you just look at it in that little microscope second, what you would miss, what comes in the next verse. Because after making this statement, after rebuking the leaders of the time, and then making this bold statement, say, hey, the only people who are going to be revealed this are those who I choose to reveal it to. He makes this wonderful, loving proclamation. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The beauty is this, is because he doesn't say, come to me, those of you who I like. He doesn't say, come to me, those of you who have been like little children. He doesn't say, hey, come to you, come to me, all of you guys who, are, who have been consistent with me, but those of you who have been religious leaders who have been adding on, don't come to me. In this one statement after saying, hey, I reveal myself to who I want to reveal myself to, he says, listen, come to me all. He then in that moment gives them a doorway, saying, come, all of you, not some of you, all of you. The Pharisees could have repented in that moment. The other religious leaders could have repented in that moment, and maybe some of them did, but they, 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 he opened the door for them to come. Because in him we find ultimate rest. The Lord is kind, loving, and gracious. And this invitation is saying, come here. It's to counterbalance all that is going on. He's saying, come here. I know what you're looking for. You're actually looking for rest, and you're trying to find peace of mind. And this rest we're speaking of is salvation rest. They want, they want rest for their souls. And Jesus is saying, listen, I know how to get you that rest. It's amazing because he provides ways in which you come. But he also lets us know that this is a heavy labor that you're doing. This is something that's hanging on you very strong. This is something that's weighing you down. He's saying, I recognize it even if no one else sees it. I see what's holding you down. And he's saying, come to me. And he says, take my yoke, learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely of heart, and you will find rest. Again, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we think of this idea, it's not just coming and saying, oh, I'm here. But he says, come and learn from me. What does that tell us? It tells us we have to be teachable. It tells us that when we come to him, we have to come with hearts and say we're ready to learn from the Lord. But it also tells us something beautiful about the nature and character of God. This is probably one of the only few places, I think, in text where you'll find this phrase, gentle and lowly in heart, because it speaks to the heart of our God. Many of us have struggled in our relationship and our walk because we struggle with how we see God and believe and perceive his nature to be. Even when we're walking in faith, when we mess up, we often sometimes struggle because we think that God is either like the police or like our parents or like some religious leader 
who may have been a little hard and harsh. So if you've had a parent or somebody who has been verbally abusive or someone in leadership, even at work, but these things that shape how you see things, when you think you, when you mess up and you had a parent who, John, why are you always screwing up? Yes, you may be 20 years far removed from that. But when you fall short, in the back of your head, there's a part of you filtering how you see God through that conversation that you had when you were a kid. And so then, God becomes this parent that is harsh, that is condemning. But that's not who our God is. Yes, our, our, our God has wrath. He, he comes against sin, but he deposited the wrath of sin on the Son. So his wrath was taken care of on the cross. In seeing Jesus, we get to see he is gentle and lowly. His heart and his compassion says, I'm open to you even when you've done wrong. When you made a major catastrophic mistake, when you just made one of those same mistakes that you've done over and over again. In both situations, he's saying, come to me. The gentle and lowly is this idea that his arms are wide open. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. The dad doesn't say, oh, you screwed up. Come on in. It speaks of how the father opens up his arms and runs to meet his son. His son had nothing to offer. He hadn't done anything worthwhile or good. But the father went because that's his heart. When he sees his children turn and coming back and he runs towards them. So as you live out your wife, it's important to remember this because there are going to be times where the things that are keeping you from moving forward in the Lord are how you see him because you are not able to receive the gentle, lowly, compassionate heart of the Savior. But then the text continues. He, he doesn't only say that, but he says, you'll find rest for your souls here. And this is an element of eternal rest. This idea that the reason why the religious leaders were trying to do these things was so they could be right with God and be accepted. What Christ is saying is saying that, that, that journey you keep trying to make that is impossible for you to make, come and find rest in me. He had not been to the cross yet, but he knows the cross is coming. And he's welcoming them in to receive the work that he has already prepared to do. Now, what's interesting is there's this aspect where it says, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. That's an oxymoron. Because you just, how is a yoke easy and light? I mean, the very idea of a burden being light, it just, it's a burden. So how can a burden be light? Do you guys have light burdens that's going on in your world that I just don't know about? When I, when I say I have a burden, that means that sucker's heavy. When I think of a yoke, I'm like, oh, well, that's like a piece of thick wood on my neck hanging over me. I'm like, that's, how is that ever easy? But what is interesting is that God is, again, giving this comparison or contrast. He says, listen, you're under a yoke whether you want to say it or not. Outside of me, you are yoked to something. You're yoked to the ways of the world. You're yoked to the enemy. You're yoked and connected. I know we live in a world that says, oh, we're free to live our own lives. I'm not yoked to anything. I'm free. I'm not like you religious people. I've got freedom. It's a false sense of freedom. 
And yes, I can boldly proclaim that not as an arrogant Christian. I can boldly proclaim that because, listen, I was them. I was that. I remember countless times of smoking, marijuana, drinking, going out, day in, day out, with the hopes of alleviating the pain and struggles of life and trying to be cool and trying to be connected. And that was a yoke. Because after the high was gone, after the partying was over, I still felt the burden and the weight of life. And there are those of you who may be in here or online listening saying, well, no, nah, no, you're yoked to something. You may not want to be honest with yourself, but when you sit in that room alone, you know you are. And what Christ says here is he says, listen, I'm offering you a yoke that is easy. And the burdens of life that you face, you can come with me, they are light. And you know what it is? It's not because the troubles of life disappear. It's because he's in it with you. There's a pastor who I'm uh, good friends with and love him to death, uh, Pastor H.B. Charles. And he talks about this story of how his grandfather was a farmer. And he asked his grandfather some questions because he would always see him yoking the oxen together. So this is a farm example. And so it's a big wood thing that's put on their necks and it anchors them together so that they move simultaneously. And what his grandfather said is like, when you have oxen, there's one mistake you cannot make. You never pair a weak oxen with another weak oxen. Because if you, compare, if you pair two weak oxen together, you're going to get nothing done. What you're actually seeking to achieve will be pointless because they're too weak to accomplish it. However, when you yoke a strong oxen with a weak oxen, despite his weakness, the work can get done because of the power and the strength of the strong ox. So the weak ox is still fairly weak. But he's able to journey through because what he has, the strong oxen that is moving him along. And what Christ is saying is, yes, the barriers and hardships of life are still present. And it's going to be difficult. But I want you to know, I, you, the reason why I can say my yoke is easy and the burden is light is because I am that strong. I am journeying yoked along with you. You are yoked to me. You're not yoked to the religious system. You're not yoked to the Pharisees. You're not yoked to your mother. You're not yoked to your father. You're yoked to me, the Savior. And my yoke is easy and my burden is light because I'm with you in it and through it all. We keep trying to journey without him, even those of us who are in him. We take on responsibilities and cares of life because I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And Christ is saying, no, rest in me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you ever had questions like Ashanti, I don't know if that's really true. Just go to Paul in Corinthians where he makes this very beautiful statement of what the Lord said to him as he was asking something to be removed. He said, in your weakness... My strength is made perfect. As believers, we live in a state of weakness and power. Weakness of recognizing that we can't save ourselves and we can't do it all. The power of knowing that his strength is made perfect in those weaknesses. 
because he is the strong Savior pulling us through it all. So today, I encourage you, whatever rules and regulations that have been weighing you down, whatever add-ons that have been making the joy of Christian life not joyful, know that you have the freedom to let them go today. I know there were people who you loved who said this was what was needed, but they can be wrong. So walk in the yoke of our Savior. And for those who are listening who don't know Jesus as Savior, I know this, that his yoke is ready for you. Not waiting for you to get better, but waiting for you to just come humbly and saying, God, I don't get it, but I know what I've got isn't working. And then going before him saying, God, show yourself to me, which he has no problem doing. Let us walk in the freedom because we know where we find our ultimate rest. Let us pray. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.